0: Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Greener Postures Podcast. I'm your host, Lanny, and here we are in March. And this month is going to be all about sourdough. And frankly, I am excited we're finally here because I've been waiting patiently through our month-long discussion of canning to get to this point where we could talk about sourdough because even through the month of canning, while I did some canning and I did um, enjoy posting about it and talking about it in the videos I made, I very much still was obsessing about sourdough all last month. I think because I've been canning for longer, sourdough is still fresh in a lot of ways. And because there is like infinite uh, uses and and variables, um, I cannot stop experimenting with it. It's so interesting to me. I currently have a batch of a thousand gram loaf of sourdough fermenting on the counter now for me to shape into two loaves later. And I just kind of want to break my understanding of sourdough down in these four episodes that are going to come out in March. And I want to start with um, the starter. Why would I start anywhere else? I'm going to start starting now. So first, I just want to real quick remind you that you can join the Greener Postures membership by going to greenerpostures.com slash membership, or you could go to patreon.com greenerpostures Either of those places will get you a lot more information of the different tiers of support that you could give and what you get in return from me. I'm doing things like a monthly recipe card and a monthly tutorial video. All um, the content that comes out will fit the theme of the month. So this month's all about sourdough. So if you're into that, um, sign up and check it out. We have more people who have signed up. Um, Welcome to the new members. Uh, Thank you. And um, I appreciate everyone's support. There is going to be a workshop this month online live. This is going to be the sourdough workshop. And we're going to do that Sunday, March 26th at 3 p.m. Pacific. The cost of the workshop by itself is $40. But if you're in the $25 a month tier of membership, then you get that workshop included in your membership. So if this month is something that you're, you're wanting to, to get in and support, then get in there and save a little bit of money and join me for the workshop at the end of the month as well. This workshop is going to be really fun because I'll have you in my kitchen and I'm going to do every step. I'm going to get things ready so we can do all the things. We'll, we'll feed a starter and we will start a loaf and we will, uh, stretch the loaf and we will shape the loaf and we will bake it. And it's going to be really fun, uh, to do that with you guys in the kitchen and, um, the, the successes of the other life workshops, I'm really confident that this is going to be a good one too. People coming together with different levels of experience and great questions. It's, it's awesome. So to sign up for the workshop, go to greenerpostures.com workshops and find the show, sourdough workshop on there. You can learn more and sign up that way. Um, the March newsletter is already out. You can go to greenerpostures.com blog to Check that out if you didn't get it. Um, if you are signed up for my emails, you'll have that in your email. You can also find that on Patreon or uh, through my Instagram page. So check out the newsletter for more updates. And please, for anybody who has time, if you are enjoying the podcast, go and leave me a review. Leave me a review on... Um, Apple Podcast or Google or wherever you listen to it, and I'd really appreciate that. Um, Also, if you are on Instagram or Twitter, share one of my posts. Tell friends about the podcast that you're enjoying it. I would appreciate that as well. Spread the word. So starting a starter. So last January of 2022, so two January, 14 months ago, I began my sourdough starter. And I would say that I believe that my sourdough journey, (laughs) to use like an overused term, but what else do I say? My sourdough journey did not begin on that day because for the last decade, I have been fermenting. And as you may or may not know, sourdough is fermentation. It's fermenting flour. And so I had this rich background of understanding and experience of fermentation. And I had also been cooking and baking for at least 20 years. And that also all added into this understanding. So I think that depending on your level of experience in the kitchen, beginning a starter sourdough starter can be very different for you than it was for me. Uh, what was your experience? Have you baked a lot of yeasted breads because I have baked yeasted breads, not a lot. And if you have, maybe you'll think that this is trickier because you're, you know, expecting the dough to behave a certain way or whatever. So I went in with a really open mind about that aspect of it, the leavening aspect of it. And um, I just got into it. Finally, I had been resisting it for so long. But with all the research I had done about Weston A. Price and the properly prepared grains aspect of it, and knowing that things being soaked, soured, or um, sprouted are better for you, and I had a baby that was just about going to be the age of wanting to start to try more foods, I wanted to be able to give him bread, and I wanted to be able to give him bread I made at home. So that's where this journey began for those, like, let's pretend we don't know at all what sourdough is. The first thought I would have thought, you know, originally would be that it's a choice of the kind of toast you get when you go out for breakfast. You sourdough, rye, white, wheat. Um, That's true. Sourdough is a flavor of bread. That's what it is. Uh, Traditionally, it was not that. It was not a flavor. It was a method. So while there are Conventional breads today that are made with souring agents to have it have a taste. There are a traditional ways of making bread where you actually sour your dough and it is a way of creating the yeast that you need to rise your bread. So... It is a way of creating a natural leaven. And a leaven is anything that rises a bread or a dough. So that could be baking powder or baking soda, or even I think cream of tartar or other things I'm not even aware of. But the most common ones that everybody's familiar with is baking powder or baking soda, what you use in cookies or muffins or pancakes or waffles. And yeast, and a lot of people think of yeast as this packet of powder that comes from the store. I think it's Red Star is the name of the most popular brand that most of us have in the store. And that's commercial instant yeast packets. They're like dehydrated little pebbles, like little sand kind of stuff. You sprinkle it on the top of some water and you let it bloom for a minute, and then you mix it into your dough, and it rises things. So when I've done dough before, that's what I did, and it was fast. It was a couple hours, and I had a loaf of bread. But my bread was never great. I mean, it was it was fresh bread. It's it's funny because I love really good bread, and I've been to some big cities, and I like you know I've been to New York. I've eaten New York bagels. I've 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 had really good Italian bread. From really great bakeries, and I can appreciate a really good bread. I also just know that any bread, basically, that is baked at home and is fresh is re- also really good. It's just not the same thing. And so, while I never made anything restaurant quality, bakery quality, I made fresh bread at home, and it, I was pretty proud of it. And it tasted good. It it definitely went, you know. There's never any left over the next day. But when I sat out with sourdough, I really wanted to make a really good loaf that I could be proud of. Something that I could give uh, as a gift, something that would make a good sandwich, something that would make a good grilled cheese, something that would be impressive. And what I didn't really know when I started was how many other things that I could use the sourdough discard for. um, And... And as well as sourdough. So bagels, English muffins, soft pretzels, tortillas, pizza crust, cinnamon rolls, biscuits, cobbler, uh, crackers. Um, I'm, I'm not even scratching the surface of all the different things that I've made with my fermented dough in one way or another. So this was a really great endeavor. And I'm so, so glad that I did it. It did take some time to fully understand my starter, but once I understood my starter, I could understand the dough. If you think of it as a mini version of what's gonna happen when you mix a batch of bread, that is actually really useful because you're watching it in this little jar in a small form and you can see bubbles start and it starts to rise and then eventually it gets to its peak and then it starts to fall again. And when you watch that, you kind of get a little window of what the behavior of that dough will be in a larger pot. Uh, it just takes longer. So with that, um, the method I followed to begin my starter, I, I kind of watched, I think, three different videos on YouTube. And I kind of combined what I learned from all of those using my um, reasoning based on my previous fermentation experience. So there's lots of Opinions on how to feed your starter and how to begin a starter from scratch and none of them are wrong The answer here is is that you're going to capture wild yeast and you're going to grow wild yeast And then you're going to use the wild yeast three steps The capture phase people will tell you can take three five days Mine took probably eight to ten days until it was actually ready to go And so what you need to do is just combine two ingredients flour and water and then give it the time that it needs. So initially flour and water are just that, flour and water, but on the flour and in the air and in our environment are tons of microbes that we cannot see. Like you probably heard me talk about when I get super excited about fermentation. Here we're working with yeast and other bacteria as well, but primarily yeast you're trying to capture and feed so that they reproduce and then you have a colony of them and then you can continue to perpetuate that by keeping them alive. And I should say sourdough is a perpetual ferment. If you've ever heard me talk about fermentation before, and I talk about, you know, like we can do a one-off kind of a ferment or perpetual ferments or continuous ferments where you have to continue taking from and feeding into this thing and keeping it like a pet. So that would be kombucha or kefir grains. Those are two really good example of of perpetual ferments. Um, A one-off ferment could be a sauerkraut and then um, you don't need to make more of that or put anything into it. You make it once and, and age it and, and then it's ready to go. So it is a chore in a way to have a sourdough starter. You have to, to maintain it, but really to begin it, you just need a vessel and some flour and some water. And I could say that the water should be clean and it should not have chlorine or fluoride if at all possible. Those things just make it harder for these bacteria to do their job. So use filtered or distilled water if you can. We have a Berkey filter. I'm using that now. When I first started, I was just using my well water, and that was working fine too. I um, also, with uh, using the Berkey, I sometimes add trace minerals into my water as well, because a mineral-rich environment is good. Too much salt is not good and would inhibit bacterial growth. So I, I don't. I'm not just putting salt in there, but I'm putting like a drop of trace minerals into my water as well. So water and flour in a jar, how much? Equal parts. Just do that. Equal parts. Um, and there's no benefit to having a larger portion of this sitting out and trying to collect than there is to having a smaller portion. So to save money and waste of flour, I would have started with less. When I started, I did one cup of flour and one cup of water. And now if I look back, I should have done a fourth a cup of flour and a fourth a cup of water in a smaller jar. Because that's this—it's still gonna, you know, catch this, um, microbe, this this yeast, um, just the same. And then I can then use that to put it in what to whatever size I want to later. I just have to to start to grow it in something. So to save money, I would have done a smaller batch uh, if I was doing this again, and. Equal flour and water. Mix it very well so there's no dry spots. Scrape the sides of your jar down and put a lid on it. You, I was putting a coffee filter on it because I wanted to make sure gases could escape. But I was finding it was drying the surface out and that it was not good for it. So now I use one of those plastic, uh, white plastic reusable lids for a canning jar. And I just don't screw it on super tight. They're not airtight anyway. And then put a piece of tape or a rubber band around the level of the flour and and water so that you can notice if it rises or falls. So this this stuff here has what it needs in it uh, to start to reproduce. And the yeast are going to do their thing at room temperature. So if your house is really cold, it'll be a slower process. If it's warmer, it's going to be a faster process. There are factors like that. Um, Another factor is the type of flour that you use. Um, I would recommend using some whole wheat flour or rye flour along with white flour in a mix Um, because there are more bacteria, yeast, uh, beneficial nutrients, all of that. If you're using a whole wheat berry versus if you're using a very, very filtered down uh, version of that, which is what white flour is, Uh, rye flour is really active. And when I started adding a scoop of that, it really bumped things up. So Get some kind of a wheat flour and you make sure whatever you're using is unbleached and preferably organic. Um, I don't always say you have to get everything organic, but for me, getting wheat products organic is important. Please don't just make sure it's not enriched. Make sure there's not added like, um, uh, metal shavings or whatever, iron and stuff. So unbleached, uh, organic, if you can not enriched and, uh, equal parts flour and water. Clean water, you know, filtered like we talked about. And then you just wait. Wait a couple days. If you see any bubbles, you're going to feed it. What does feeding it mean? So people have been super confused about this in the past, and I was in the beginning because I thought feeding it was going to mean I was going to open the jar and put a couple of scoops of flour into it and stir it in, and that was going to be it. That's not how you feed your starter. You feed your starter by taking some of the starter and putting it into the new food. Why are we doing this? Well, the idea is, is if you have a colony of yeast, you need to take a small scoop of that colony and add that into new flour and water so that you're feeding a small amount of that yeast, a whole bunch of food. And if instead you put that uh, flour and water into that whole colony, then you would be feeding the same amount of food to a larger group of yeast and they wouldn't have as much food and they wouldn't be able to thrive. Also, you would be just duplicating that food, uh, sorry, that colony so that you would be growing your starter um, more than you would need. So for feeding, what I do, I just get a clean jar. I put it on my scale. I tear my scale and then I pour the amount of water in I need, which lately I've been doing about 55 grams of water. And then I put 55 and then I put about 10 grams of my starter in And I put 55 grams of flour, and I stir that in really well. And that's how I feed my starter now. Um, When I first started, I was doing equal parts of the starter and the flour and the water. So this is going to help you get this colony established. So when you're growing your starter at first, I really recommend that you put um, equal parts of your starter with your new flour and water. So get a clean jar put 50 grams of water, 50 grams of flour and 50 grams of starter and mix that all up and do the same thing. Mark it with a rubber band, put a loose lid on it, mark your date and time and leave it alone. What you're doing is watching for signs of life. That's going to be a change in smell. And that's going to be bubbles that you can see in it. And that's going to be it rising and eventually then falling. So over the first couple of days, you might not see anything. So some recipes recommend that you feed your starter the following day, and other recipes say that you can wait longer. For me, intuitively, and in understanding fermentation, I didn't believe that it was important to feed it that first day because I could tell there was no activity yet. So that means there was no yeast eating this, uh, the food source, so there was no need to feed it a new food source. I needed to wait until I could see the activity from the yeast. Yeast, when it eats, will give off a CO2 that will create the bubbles. And there you go. So I waited like two or three days, um, but I did stir it a few times and I'm not seeing anyone else recommend this to me. But when you're first starting and you're not seeing activity yet, stir it because all that's going to do is help those microbes move around. Maybe make it a little wetter. If you feel like you're not getting any action, add a little extra water. And I should mention with the water, you can use cold water. You can use room temperature water would be ideal, but don't use hot water because hot will kill the microbes. So um, after you start to see some activity, you're going to start feeding that every day, once a day, preferably at the same time a day. And eventually you're going to start to see your starter at least doubling in size and then come to a peak and then start to recede back down. And the way I can tell that is happening is that on the side of my jar, I can kind of see a little line where it got to its tallest point, And then you can see it moving back down from that. It leaves kind of like a little stain on, on the side of, on the jar. So until you get to understand how to read your starter better, that just kind of watch for that. Um, it gets to a peak and it comes back down. And so when you are first doing this, you can just feed it when it's coming back down. Um, but ideally, eventually, towards the end of your first week of feeding your starter every day, you're going to try to do that every 12 hours. So that means you're going to feed the starter when it gets to its peak so or just starts to fall again. And that do that for a couple days. If you're getting a consistent timeline of like you're feeding it and about 12 hours later it is uh, starting to fall again, you know, it's grown and falling, then you know you're ready to bake with it. And by that point, you can start to do a different feeding ratio where, like I was saying, we're doing like, um, uh, I use weight. So you can use a scale and say 50 grams of flour, 50 grams of water, and 10 grams of starter. And you can also just do it by measuring a quarter cup or a half a cup of water, a quarter, or a half a cup of flour, and a tablespoon of starter. Either way, you're using a really small amount of starter into new food, which is the flour and the water. You're stirring that together and you're letting it sit at room temperature. Once you're getting this rhythm going, it's ready to bake with. And the timing for baking is you want to use the starter to start your dough when it's at its peak. So if you know you want to bake bread in the morning, then the night before you go to bed, you're going to feed your starter so that it's at its peak 12 hours later in the morning and you can start your dough. You're going to start your dough and reserve just enough um, of the starter to be able to make a new batch of, you know, feed a new batch of starter, which is only about a tablespoon. So you can make your starter kind of small um, to maintain it. And then when you know you're going to bake, just mix up as much as you know you're going to need and leave the extra to feed your your starter for the next time too, to keep it going. And if you've never done any of this, this might sound confusing, but don't let it be. Um, The answer I really want, the answer that I found with all of this, experimenting myself as well as doing the research, is that there's a lot of different opinions on how to do this correctly, and none of them are really wrong. So unless it's telling you to microwave it, it's not, it's not wrong. So just, um, basically pick a recipe, go online. And if you're a visual learner, watch a video. If you like to read, read someone's blog post. If you like to listen, use my advice here, just get going, get a jar, put the water and the flour in it and see what happens. Um, as questions come up during this process, ask people questions, you know, go online, leave me a comment on one of my Instagram posts, or if you're a member, you're, you're in our Telegram group. You, you can write anybody there. Um, lots of people have done this, you know, after 2020, a lot of people tried to do, um, sourdough and a lot of them did it for a while and don't do it anymore. And I think the challenge of sourdough really is learning it and sticking to it for long enough that it becomes a normal part of your kitchen routine and it is not a hassle. And that is, I think, a magic number for me is 90 days. If I stick to something for 90 days, I will have it committed to memory forever. It'll be like a bicycle that I can always just like pick it up later and start riding it. Maybe it'll take me a second when I get back on, but it'll pretty quickly I'll be doing it again. So my magic number is 90 days. I try to stick to that. I think other people have said 60 60 or 63 or whatever, you know. Do something for long enough that it doesn't become a hassle anymore. do it and set timers on your phone if you need to. But um, beginning the starter is simple. It's simple ingredients that most people have in their house. It's simple equipment that most people have. And it's natural yeast that are already there, just waiting for you to make them a little home that they can live in. And then they can, you know, add to your life. What's great about sourdough, besides the fact that it can leaven bread, besides the fact that it's going to make your bread rise and be it fluffy, it's that it's fermented flour. And what does that mean? Well, if you're following the Weston A. Price, um, kind of guidelines of, of, you know, the way you prepare grains. If you listen to my nourishing um, foods episodes in January, um, fermented flour means that it's flour that's pretty much broken down all that phytic acid and all the, the parts of the, the grain that are hard to digest. And it's sitting there waiting for you to use it um, and, and enjoy it. So that means this part of the sourdough starter that you would get rid of uh, during feedings isn't garbage it's called sourdough discard because you remove it from the equation of your starter but it can be used for many many other things i mean even to then just stir some salt and oil to it and spread it on a pan and on parchment paper and bake it in the oven and it's crackers or stir in some oil and an egg and uh you know get it to pancake batter texture and try frying it in a pan You can follow recipes for sourdough starter discard, or you can just wing it. And either way, you're probably going to have something that's edible. So a big part of this for me is having that discard on hand, and you can keep it in your fridge after it's discarded for a couple of weeks at least. And with the starter, after you're getting that consistent rise and fall every 12 hours, you can start to keep it in your refrigerator when you're not using it. And just remember to take it out and feed it 12 hours before you want to bake with it each time and try to do that at least once a week so that it doesn't get too hungry in the fridge. And people say you need to feed it every 12 hours. People say that you should keep it on the counter and not put it in the fridge. All these things it's true. When it is first beginning, it is pretty fussy. It needs a while to establish itself, but a few weeks in after feeding that at a consistent rate, I would go at least, you know, if you can please go a month first before you try the refrigerator but once you do, it's not, it's, it's totally fine. I've forgotten. I've never forgotten mine in the fridge for more than a week because I, I bake at least once a week. I bake probably three times a week. Usually with it, I have other people that get bread from me. Now I bake bread for our other family members. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm usually doing big batches when I'm using it and I'm I'm using it multiple times a week, but I have forgotten it on my counter and not fed it. And I say forgotten, but I'm not really forgetting it. I'm just saying I'm too lazy to do that. Now I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed and I don't feed it. And guess what? It still wants to survive. So when I do feed it again, it's very excited. And I honestly think that sometimes when you don't feed something after it's well established, when you don't feed it for a while, it gets um, stronger so I think that there is a reason, you know, to put a fan on your seedlings so that their stalks grow stronger and they're not spindly. Um, there's the same thing as with your starter. Just go 24 or 48 hours once and see what happens. It's, it's not going to die. Um, it makes it seem like you're going to kill it in five seconds. I'm always shocked when people say they kill their sourdough starter. Cause I actually, I don't believe them. Sorry, Kaylee, if you're listening to this, I don't believe you, <laughs> Um, and if you did kill it, I would love to know how you did it. Cause I'm impressed. It's like, what was it like three weeks on the counter, you know, in, in like Florida sunshine. I'm, I, I don't, I don't know, but, um, there are different things that can happen to the starter, different symptoms you can look out for, you know, they call it hooch. It's like a watery substance on top. I've gotten hooch, but when I've left it in the refrigerator for a long time and you just pour it off or mix it in, it's fine. Um, basically it's just, Things want to live, and if you treat them decently, then they will, they will survive. So um, the sourdough starter is not too scary once you've got it going, and it's really fun to watch and see how it develops. There's like fancy things people recommend trying to do using yeast from different plants like grapes or juniper berries, and I have honestly heard people experiment with those things and just had as much of a struggle as anybody else getting it started for the first time. So do that if you want to, if it seems fun, but um, I don't think it's any better than just using the natural yeast in your environment. And for me, using the natural yeast in my environment and on the flour that I purchased was important. I'm in a homestead. I'm in a house that my husband's great-grandfather built. And so my kid's great-great-grandpa built this house. And I wanted to use the same yeast that maybe was around when their, you know, Ancestors were baking in the same kitchen on a wood stove, and that that's really cool to me. Some of what I think is so amazing about microbes is just like this um, hidden world that kind of runs everything, and we don't realize it. It's they're on our skin and in our body. They they say that we probably have more microbes in us and on us than we do cells in our body. And if you think of it that way, we are microbes. Um, Yeast, bacteria, lactobacillus, all these other names of ones I can't remember. Different kinds of bacteria that are not great. Um, We have botulism spores on us and in us that aren't making us sick. It's a symbiotic relationship that things have with each other. When they're in balance, it's good. And when they're out of balance, it's bad. So here's another way for you to learn more about all of that hidden world by just observing your little jar of flour and water and seeing how it develops. So the next time on the greener postures podcast, I want to talk about getting started with baking. I want to talk about flour use. I want to talk about hydration. I want to talk about grinding your own flour. I'm not sure where I'm going to go next. I have some thinking to do. If you have suggestions on what you want me to talk about this month, all about sourdough, please send me an email or a DM. And if you want to, um, ask any specific questions that you would like answered I'd be happy to do that um, if you want to sign up for the workshop please go to the greener postures.com slash workshops I'd love to have you there it's going to be great and until next time take care thanks for listening I'm Lanny and this was the greener postures podcast you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at greener postures and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at greener postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM, or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there.